Dispatch. Packets of fire all around. Dear Chief, much has happened since we last spoke. Welcome to Dear Chief Podcast, where your hosts and their guests share the 411 of being married to the people who respond to 911s. Take a peek into fire family life and get unabashed advice on how to prevent forest fires in your marriage. Now, here's your hosts, two seasoned firewives, Audra and Chelsea. We're taking it all the way to the East Coast today with Joe and Heather from Twisted Fire Industries. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. I love it when we have couples on. It's so fun. Joe is a second generation firefighter and has been in the fire service for 16 years. He's the co-founder of Twisted Fire Industries and Tactics on Tap, Metrolina. Joe's also a task force leader for Sons of the Flag. Outside of the fire service, Joe enjoys spending time and traveling with his wife and two daughters. Joe and Heather have been together as a fire couple for 13 years. Heather is an advocate for fire families. She's speaking out to get families more involved with the fire service in their training. She's also heavily involved with the fire training company, Twisted Fire Industries and Tactics on Tap, Metrolina. Heather also created a hands-on class for spouses, which they offer not only at their conference, but also available to bring to other conferences as well. So together, along with very get dedicated team, they run Carolina Fire Days in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's not a lot at all. And also having two kids. No, yeah. it's cool. It's fine. Mm. That's totally. insane. It's been an adventure, that's for sure. <laughs> okay, so tell us a little bit more about the two of you. Okay. Joe and I have been together for since 2009. I've always been very supportive of the fire service. Like I've, you know, would go to the firehouses with him and have the family days, do all the things. And then, what was it? Six years ago, seven years ago in Winston-Salem. Yeah, we started like our first Carolina fire days. No, 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 no. It wasn't that. It was the tactics on tap. That's when it was. We, he did a presentation and He's talked about the things at the kitchen table and, you know, I've been like, oh, that sounds great. You know, they're going to love it. And then I watched him present it for the very first time. And it was a side of him that i never seen before. It really just kind of clicked a light bulb. And then a couple other like guys came up and was like, well, how do you find a girl that can handle this fire service stuff? And I was like, I, don't, I didn't have an answer, you know, because in the past I've always been a little bit bitter you know, when he would go to fire trainings because he's taken off work, he's going to these fire conferences and these training days and he'll call me at the end of it and he's having a good time and you can hear all the fun they're having in the background. And I'm, it sounds like a vacation, but then he comes home and he's going right back on the fire truck, picking up other shifts to make up for the time he's been off. And I'm just exhausted, you know, just still dealing with kids, still doing all the things. Well, so then he invited me to that one and it was amazing just to see him present something that he was very passionate about and then to also see the other firefighters just really taking it in and from that i was kind of hooked and he took me to a couple more conferences where i actually started to get a little bit more involved they let me actually force a door and they let me flow some water 
And from then I was like, this is crazy. But because when we finally got the forced door open, my arms were like spaghetti. I couldn't breathe. I was tired. And they're like, oh, no, you're not done. You got to go get that hose now. You've got to go in. You got to search for victims. You got to bring them out. You got to get the fire out. I was like, well, then we're all going to die. I said, there's no way. So it put a, a big perspective on the physical aspects of the job. And when he tells me he's training and I'm, he comes home and I'm expecting him to finish off my to-do list, well, you know, it's your job. You're supposed to be doing your things, you know. But now I actually understand there's so much more to it than that. So it was it was eye opening. Right out of high school, I wanted to go to the Air Force and an injury stopped that. So I became a fireman at 18 years old, 19 years old, 2006 and have done it you know, ever since. My uncle was a fireman in Cleveland, Ohio for 42 and a half years. So it's always been in my blood, always been something to be a servant of some sort. I started teaching. I, I liked the education side of it and. Me and a close friend of mine, we decided that what the book was making us teach wasn't what we wanted to teach. So we started an organization, started traveling. In those first couple of years, I probably was gone, I don't know, 15 to 18 weeks out of the year outside of being at work. I mean, I, I was I was gone a lot. I wasn't home, I'd say at least 200 days out of the year, if not more, probably 250. And that's when she started resenting it a lot. And then she saw me present and then that's when it switched. Um, since that we've been doing Carolina fire days. This will be our fifth, I guess, official fourth official year, but really we've been doing it for five years and it's been amazing just to grow and see and, you know, do the spouse round table. And, and we've always had families involved. We've always been inclusive and, and we want family members to show up. Even when we do the tactics on tap, that's something where we'll go to a restaurant. We'll take over their sound system on a Tuesday afternoon and we'll let someone present for an hour and then we'll just hang out. Like one of my must do's is I don't want to be in a secluded room. I want to be in the public seating, whether we're in the dining room, wherever it is, I want to be in the public's eye because I want them to hear it. And more times than not, we end up getting people that have no connection to the fire service come sit in our classes and then ask questions just because they were interested in something they saw or heard. Okay. So Joe, what is your schedule like in your regular fire job uh, so i work full-time for a department we work 10 24s a month um, it doesn't have a it's a really confusing rotation but i end up working 10 24 hour shifts a month and then i work part-time in a rural department that i probably work 8 to 10 24s there a month pretty regularly but it's it's not uncommon for me to be gone you know six eight days at a time Okay, so tell me more about how Twisted Fire Industries started. You, you kind of touched on it a little bit when you were talking. So that's my uh, my best friend Thomas and I. We taught for the the state the state curriculum on what firefighter education was supposed to be, and not that it was bad. It just wasn't enough, or it wasn't what we wanted to be getting across. So we said, hey, if we're going to do this, we need to make a change. We need to do this on our own or we need to uh, try to change the ideology of what this training should be. So we started traveling and getting ideas and going to classes and talking with people and then came back and said, all right, this is what we're going to do. And we did it. And we haven't turned back since. This will be our sixth year. Uh, I'd say officially sixth year, but it's been in the works probably for seven. And we've been all over from 
Portland to Atlanta to Connecticut, Texas. I mean, we've been all over the place, all over the country with amazing opportunities to teach and just see different things. And like, we wanted to learn. So we just started showing up. We would have a friend that was teaching a class somewhere. We would just show up be like, Hey, we're sleeping on your floor. We'll be here for the next two days. What do you need? We wanted to learn and see what everyone else was doing, but also what everyone else was doing that we didn't want to do. We really wanted to learn from what we didn't like from other people. And with doing that, we made some really awesome relationships just from being available. The caveat to that was I was gone 15 to 18 weeks a year for the first two years of this, and I didn't make a penny. I mean, it cost me thousands of dollars in travel to just go learn all this stuff. Put a price on education, though, like, honestly. No. And then that's kind of what rolled into him learning all these different things about these conferences to just bring our own in Charlotte to have. And we'll also like have our own class that our cadre teaches, but then we can bring others from, you know, the relationships that he's built, that he's seen what they do. And, you know, he wants to bring that here to the people around here to learn these skills. And it's definitely a group effort. Like without a doubt, we couldn't do any of this without our team. And we have a hell of a team. I mean, our family is second to none. We got people, Wyoming, Ohio, Virginia, South Carolina, and North Carolina are our main cadre members that we have monthly meetings on Zoom. We plan everything out. We just selected our instructors for next year or this year's conference um, two nights ago. So we're going to be announcing that. But I mean, we hold the event in November and we start planning for next year in December. And it's it's a lot. But we have a team of people that do it. Um, that have bought into it. Like I said, we traveled and said, we want this from this conference, this from this conference, and this, and we want to bring it to here. And if we're doing it, we're going to do it right. Uh, we want to make it affordable, but, you know, we want to try to bring in the right people too and involve spouses and, you know, everything that we do. And it's been a heck of a journey, that's for sure. Sounds like it. Putting on a conference is very time consuming <laughs> and stressful. <laughs> yeah, I have no doubt. Have no doubt just working in the wedding industry. I, I know how it is to plan an event. It's a lot. So, so we had an event planner actually tell us she worked for a company and she had planned one big event a year. And she said, this is the equivalent of planning like 14 weddings in a week mm-hmm, mm-hmm. from different sites because and... everywhere is somewhere else. And we got to bus everyone and feed everyone. And you're talking mm-hmm. sometimes three, 300 people going to six different places with buses and just food and everything and flights and hotels. And she's like, this is dumb. And you guys do this voluntarily. <laughs> And you all have full-time jobs somewhere else. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's a lot. It's awesome that you guys are able to do that. We are really curious about Carolina Fire Days. Obviously, that's why we had you on the show. So I want to hear what kind of classes you offer. And then more importantly, we want to hear about the spouse class. Carolina Fire Days was developed. We said, hey, I've been to conferences where everyone gets to pick their own class as far as lectures. And it's you know, 15 lectures going on at the same time. And then that night, nobody knows what to talk about because everyone sat in something different. So we said, we don't want that. I want large auditorium, one speaker on the stage. Everyone hears the same person. Then at the socials, we all can talk about the same thing. So what that did for us is that limited us to be only being able to do three or four speakers per day. So whoever we brought in, we needed to bring in to be solid and, and good stuff. We have some mantras. DYFJ is kind of what we live by and you can formulate your own definition of that but um, that's what we stand for and that's who we bring in so anybody that comes in is real and they don't hold back and we don't have a dress code we have fun it's laid back you know everybody is there for the same reason and we're there for them which is you know everybody that's not us 
So then that correlates into our hands-on the last two days. So we do two to three days of lecture and then a hands-on the last two days. Everything from elevator rescue and vehicle extrication, we'll do one of those each to a lot of live fire classes. We have three uh, places that we can do live fire classes, but we bring people from out west, Florida, Miami, to Maine, Canada, Portland, Oregon, Seattle, yeah, all over the country. And and what we, we came up with is we're putting on this event. We're putting in a lot of work. So we also want the people coming, people we want to see. So we bring in our friends and we bring in the people that do good things. We bring in people that aren't in it for the money because at the end of the day, not a single person that wears one of these red shirts takes a penny. Not a single instructor, not a single volunteer, not a single administrative person gets paid. Everyone comes in for free. We pay their travel, their lodging, you know, get them the logistics they need. But it's all to support Sons of the Flag. And we're able to keep our price of admission down because we don't pay the instructors when in turn everybody knows that they're donating their time so we can support the charity. But we also recognize I do as a business owner and as an instructor that I can't teach all year long for free. So there are times whenever we get asked to teach and it's like, well, this has to be a paid event because I got to make something. That's where we brought in the spouses and figured out that, hey, we need to bring the spouses in so they can see exactly what we're doing. So they will push for their spouses to want to do more and not hold the fire service and training as their mistress. Yeah, definitely. Because like I said, I had that those light bulb moments and those moments where I got to actually get my hands dirty and literally step into his boots. And it was one of those things I was like, other wives need to have this experience. I says it's mind blowing to think that I would get so mad at him, you know, to go training when this is realistically something that not only could save his life, but somebody else's. And I can't be the one to stop that. So therefore, I don't want another spouse to stop their husband from doing that because that might be the one that's coming to help me or the one that's going to pull him out if something happens, you know, out of fire. So it's it's a, a whole big picture of being supportive and having family and that connection. And so, you know, when we had these lectures, I learned a lot by being in the lectures because I'll have these videos on there where they're all masked up. They're going in these smoky buildings. You can hear all the noises, but you can't see anything. And you hear them saying that they've got a victim and they come out and the video is showing them coming out into the daylight and they're holding a kid. And I sat there watching that and crying, you know, and to the guys, it's, it's, just another thing you know because this is something that they're used to doing it's but to me I was like how emotional and it was just put a whole different look on things and so I was like we don't get that exposure but if we went to the conferences we would we get to we would get to see that so usually I'll kind of scout out what the lectures are and send an email out to the spouses that are going to attend and you know recommend which ones definitely you should attend this one or this one but then we also have a little spouse lounge where if it's kind of a boring you know lecture that's maybe you know something that we're not really interested in those spouses can kind of sneak away and socialize have some you know drinks poses snacks whichever and just kind of get to know each other during those moments too but then our social night for lecture, we have a spouse's roundtable where we bring in three different fire spouses. And it's just kind of like an open discussion. I mean, I'll kind of lead it in a way with a couple of questions and they'll kind of tell their stories, things that work, things that didn't work, you know, advice that they would give or things they wish they would have known. And then kind of open it up to the floor for others to, you know, ask questions and things. And I feel like that's that's been pretty good. 
Yeah, it's been really, really successful. That. We've had people 18, 19 years old just sitting in there asking questions. And sometimes the couples like last year, all three couples were, you know, 40 plus with 20 plus years of marriage. And these 18 and 19 year old younger guys are asking questions about this is happening or I can't find a girlfriend that does this or I can't find a spouse, you know, that that understands this part of our lives and blah, blah, blah. Or the one that really impacted me last year was a, a guy was dating a girl and fa- got his dream job, absolute dream job. And his girlfriend at the time wanted to move down to North Carolina from where they were living in New Jersey because she was pursuing an advanced medical degree and she became a PA going to med school and he had to make a choice. He was like, what do I do? He was like, I finally, I've waited for this job my whole life and I finally got this dream job. What do I do? And talking with the spouses, you know, one of our spouses, he went to FDNY, was there 10 years and they moved back across the country because of family gave up FDNY and it was a few months after the conference. It might've been January. He posted that they moved to Wilmington and he gave up that job to move to Wilmington to put his family first and they got engaged. So that is, that's meaningful for us more than anything else. You know, that, that kind of awareness, because we know what the divorce rate is. I know what the suicide rate is. I know all of that. We, we want to stop that stigmatism. We want to change this and we need to bring everybody in so they understand it. I mean, a lot of things they talk about is the communication and being honest and, you know, really understanding and laying out what you've been through, you know, on both sides, you know, so we can support each other. But uh, then that's also when we start bringing in the spouse hot class. And I specifically wanted female firefighters to teach this because I, I know y'all talk about the badge bunnies, you know, but then. So we're all, we, a lot of times are constantly worried about these female firefighters on the job. And I think it's good to try and get to know some of them to, to know who they are, you know, if they're really in it for the job or if they have another agenda on hand. And then it's also building those relationships. And so I had these, I have these three ladies who teach it and they've just been phenomenal. And they've also been able to kind of pour into the spouses too about their perspective and things that you know that they're they deal with at the firehouse and it's just it's been amazing but also because that they're female they're able to help these spouses learn how to use their bodies the way that we're built to use it to get the job done so it's become very empowering and like the the girls leave feeling like a badass so what we set up for them to do is the first day we do like a little lecture beforehand before lunch and it's usually based on ptsd sleep deprivation and things we can do for mental health and stuff like that and given resources and all these things and then we kind of just have lunch and then jump into our hot class which consists of they'll put their full turnout gear on they get to four stores they would flow and move water they learn like the knee walk and they got to repel this year yeah, we put them on high lines, lines uh, from about 80 feet up put them on a skate block so they got to you know go down on a rope you know we put them in situations where they have to force the doors and search and understand not just what we do but the stress of the gear the weight of the gear mm-hmm. the stress of all of that is one thing then they got that air packs on too. And that we have them breathing air, putting on air packs. Just a, a whole encompassing thing is what it is. It's just a full a full package. Yeah. And then like the second day, we field trip to each site so they can actually watch their firefighter taking the class and in action. Because now that they've actually got the feel of how difficult it is, and now you see them do it and it looks so easy. But it's also seeing them in that element that we don't normally get to see them in. And then, you know, sometimes we even get to do some more little hands-on things 
at each site too because i think we went to one and they got to cut cars at the extrication class so they really enjoyed that one too and there'll be another one they can force some more doors and you know just get their hands on some things but it's it's been really amazing and they've told me they've gained like a whole new respect for what their husbands do and yeah sounds fun actually <laughs> it really is honestly you guys recently attended the bridge retreat so that's a event for first responders and their spouses that have gone through a previous traumatic event yes uh i wouldn't say necessarily that it was more it's prevention. What it's geared to yeah it's prevention it's for people that possibly have gone through a traumatic event it's for people that haven't gone through one but the chances of it happening are high it's for first responders and spouses and to open their eyes on their relationship in the job for everyone there's not a person that would not benefit from that absolutely Okay, so you recently attended the bridge event, bridge retreat as a couple? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So that was in December and they have a couple different speakers and they're not, I mean, it's not just firefighters. They, there was some police officers. There was some. Um, it's police, else? fire, paramedics, dispatch. Yeah. Um, there's some people there from the military. It was started from someone that was in a police, he was a police officer, recognized the trauma, recognized that what we go through tears families apart. And wanted to do something to combat that and get ahead of it and help people realize that they're not different. Then he realized it wasn't just police, that it was everyone. So it grew into what it is now. We have a really good friend that went to it. Now he's helping out um, and invited us along and we went. The biggest thing about it is it's a no cost experience. So other than your travel, you don't pay for anything. They cover your lodging, your food, and all of your education sessions. And you stay in a nice hotel. Everything is downstairs in the convention center. The food was amazing. It was delicious. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, a comedian one night, and they give you snacks. It, it was it was a whole thing. Um, peer support, chaplains are there. Yeah. I mean, they had breakout sessions that they split us up in, and so wives went into one and the firefighters and you know first responders went to another one and for us we got to open up and talk about some things that we struggle with which opened it up to to show that you're not alone the other people were dealing with this too and this and so then we went over things about self-care and things that we can do to help you know combat some of that anxiety that we get things that we can do to kind of like you know help our spouses um sharing anything that we've done and learned and so that was really helpful. Yeah. So they broke the, the first responders into their respective careers. So the police went one way, dispatchers went another way, EMS, and then fire. For me, you know, I mean, there's no question I have post-traumatic stress. I mean, I've been in the job for since 2006, you know, so 17, 18 years, uh, been a paramedic for most of that, worked in very nice areas, worked in very not nice areas, anything you can think of. and seen Yes. Like if you can think of it, we've seen it. Being able to talk with people and just connect is a big thing. Very young into my career, very young. I mean, I was less than a year into my career at 19 years old. I had a seven alarm fire and we lost two firemen. One of them was the guy that I got hired with that was my mentor. And the other one was a 19 year old fireman. So we lost a 39 year old and a 19 year old. And I'm 19 years old into the job. Like it, it couldn't have been any more traumatic. Like I, I think I quit that day a hundred times, but moving forward from that, and talking with people and doing what we do and, and going to places like the bridge, it was such a huge thing to go and talk. And it's actually, it's helped me solidify. I'm a full-time student as well. Um, I'm going to Ohio state university to eventually get a master's degree in psychology um, outside of the fire service 
because I see things like the bridge and realize that we have a lacking of first responder clinicians that are first responders. We have clinicians and we have peer support teams and we have the first responder part where we talk to each other in the the station, which is great. And I love that. But there's times that I don't want to talk to clinician. There's other times when I do, and I like talking to a therapist, but I haven't been able to find that true clinician that understands what it's like to be a first responder. We call this culturally competent, right, Chelsea? I don't know if I'd go that far, Audra, but yeah. That's what they're (laughs) called. Yeah. Whether or not they actually are. Yeah. I want to bridge that gap. I want to be somebody that helps start that trend of being able to talk to somebody and diagnose or give medical advice and also understand that the real side of it is you work in a really busy department. You're in the busiest engine in the place. You're not exhausted and tired because of other things. You're exhausted because you're running your butt off all night long. So instead of saying, go do these breathing techniques and read this book and let's do this. How about you make a change at work? Let's transfer and try a slower station. Mm. and a clinician's not going to tell you that because they don't understand that. But also the peer support team isn't going to understand the mental side of it and the brain aspect, you know, through therapies such as EMDR and, you know, talking about the amygdala and short-term and long-term memories and getting rid of that PTSD and being able to bridge all that together and come together, I think is going to be huge. It just happens to be put me in school full-time again. <laughs> so I just want to get this really straight. You work full-time and part-time two different stations so you work about 20 days a month you volunteer like your pants are on fire all day and you're in school full-time yeah i'm at uh i'm at the ohio state university and i'm taking 16 credit hours this semester okay joe so when are you home right now (laughs) i I schedule my life out and i do have a pretty i'd say a, a rigid flexible schedule so i make it a point and we learned this early in our our relationship going to therapy, I make it a point that we schedule X amount of days a month to be together. Or, Hey, look, because of the way my work schedule works at the city, I can say, Hey, I'm not working Mondays in March. I'll just won't work part-time Mondays because I'm not working it for my full-time job. And I'm going to do homework on these days. And I try to do a lot of it when I'm at work, but like yesterday, what was normally a slow day was not. And I didn't get much homework done. So I'll make that up, you know, tonight or tomorrow. But I try to stay ahead of it. And on top of that, we travel. But being able to travel together is a huge thing. How do you travel with the kids? We're fortunate with my parents. And Lily's old enough now. She's 16 that she'll stay by herself. And she's a very, very responsible teenager. We're very fortunate with that. Very blessed with that. Elizabeth, will. uh, my parents live close and they're able to help with that. Yeah, so they'll get her to school and handle all that if it is during like a school time or whatever, just so that I have the opportunity to still be with him, which is great for our relationship. But then, I mean, I won't go to every single thing, but, you know, anything is better than nothing at all. But we've also got them involved. I mean, I could tell you a time uh, probably seven years ago, six years ago, Lily was nine or 10, where she got an education day out of school to go be a live victim in a class. And we it was fake smoke, but we, we didn't tell the students that she was going to be there. And we hit her inside on a bed and we let them react to it. Then she in turn takes it back to school and talks about it and talks to her friends and spreads spreads the knowledge just as much as we do. Yeah, I think it's like super important to get the kids involved when you can, where you can, because they don't really understand what dad's doing at work either. Right. So there's there's a potential for resentment towards dad if they don't see what dad's doing. So kudos to you for taking them to be part of that. And and we're, we push that too. So the conference, any of our classes, we always have kids. There's always kids there. We always invite kids. 
Now, there might be some words they hear you don't want them to hear, <laughs> but we also know that that's our real life, and they hear it at home just as much as they hear it out everywhere else. So, right? I'm like, tell me they don't hear it at home because you know they do. We uh, we bring the kids in, and they get to see the conference stuff. A big thing last year, one of our couples on the roundtable, their daughter came with them from out west, and she sat up on the table at 21 years old and started answering questions. And her dad was actually curious and was like, tell me what it was like to be my daughter when you were 10 or 12 years old oh, we and were I was crying. always gone. We were crying over this one because, I mean, she, you know, growing up, you realize that they're not there and stuff. But she says now, you know, as 20 something year old and she's been involved in this conference stuff and all, too. And she says, I see what you're doing and I see how selfless it is. Like you're doing this stuff not for yourself, but for everybody else. And she says, and for that. I mean, you're you're my hero. Like I look up to that and and she's actually gone into, you know, the first responder career. So it's definitely made an impact on her and she's very proud of him. And he, I mean, we were all crying. over. But it. She said that she picks her spouse. She picks her boyfriends or she's gone after her spouse based on the work ethic that her dad has shown. And initially it was like, yeah, dad's missing another soccer game because he's teaching or he's at work. And there was resentment young. And then as she matured and realized that it wasn't because he was out partying and she got involved with it and understood what he was doing. She's like, yeah, no, if he's not a hard worker, he's not for me. Like, I'm not going to have anything part of it. I want to mimic and emulate everything you are. And so like that was huge. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so imperative that we I mean, there is no reason why the kids can't go hang out at the firehouse when they're toddlers and they can see what dad's doing at work. And there's, I think there's a lot more interactive education for kids now than there was when my kids were little. And so, yeah, I think getting them involved is preventative. Yeah. I mean, and, and even at our classes and stuff, if, if they're there, you know, and then there's a, something off to the side, we'll let them get the guys together and they can flow some water and they can, you know, have a little bit of assistance. You know, uh, that's a kid's they, best day ever. <laughs> they love it. They have so much fun. Yeah, I think my kid, like some of my kids' favorite memories at the firehouse is when they got to go flow water or they got to go shoot the fire extinguisher at dad or, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have a, a chief now. He was a captain when the kids were younger, but he would take the fire engine over to they'd go to like summer school and they'd take it over to the summer school and let them drag hose i mean and he'd call me at the end they're like your kids were dragging hose and flip-flops today they are badasses it is so great <laughs> it's really cute yes so and that's like some of their favorite memories kudos to you guys that sounds all sounds so amazing um i might have to come to carolina days i think you should i know seriously <laughs> I think this um, your chief's outing audra yeah i'm down would be so fun? Wouldn't it be oh fun? Oh my gosh! I would totally... so you come out and record a podcast episode. Yes. Ooh, that would be fun—a live podcast episode. Yes, let's live. do it. That would be fun, actually. Yeah, yeah. totally. We video got the table. Um, we got two couples lined up this year. Um, one of them is coming from Oklahoma. Corley and his wife Amanda—they've been married, I think, twenty-five years. And then the other couple is local to us right now. Um, the one thing he he asked, and they're going to talk about, is the financial side of being married and being in the fire service at a young age. Uh, because it's all relative based on where you live. But when I started in the fire service in 2006, here my starting pay was twenty two thousand dollars, and I mean I'm making more than that now. There's not a fire department or a firefighter in our state that makes six figures. We're not even near that. We're we're half that. Yeah, I work too part time. <laughs> yeah, it's it, North Carolina is a, a weird state. We don't have ambulances. 
that's a completely separate organization. So we don't transport. We don't deal with that side at work. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. But when you think of that, our cost of living is a lot less. But but not that much less anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, we can't live in the cities that which we serve because it's too expensive to live there. Yep. I mean, there's townhomes where I work that are going for seven hundred thousand dollars, and we got our house for eighty grand. We live in a eight hundred square foot house out in the country. <laughs> oh my god! Sounds like living in California. Right, living in a shack. Like, it's relative. It's relative, you know, based on wages and where you're at. But it's still, it's insane. My department is is one of the highest starting pays in the state, and it's at like forty eight, I think. That's insane. That's actually so disrespectful to firefighters. I think it it's unbelievable that they still are making such low wages. Um, it blows my mind. When a firefighter is making less than someone who flips burgers at McDonald's, I have a huge problem with that it's not huge just... it's not a joke and it's, yep. it's, it's just horrible. it is horrible it is yep and this is exactly why there are so many vacancies mm-hmm. because why when i can just go to mcdonald's and flip burgers and not have to completely just ruin my mental health exactly and ruin That's... my marriage and everything else you know exactly like... everything that encompasses it it's just mind-blowing to me i oh my gosh and that that part there that's been a big thing for me on the the biology and the the mental health and the brain side generational gaps the two generations before me were i mean you were a firefighter because you worked in the fields you were a farmer you were a blue collar mechanic you were on the department because you lived in that town and you didn't travel outside the town to work so you could run the calls during the day that blue collarness went away in the early 2000s and it slowly slowly started to fade when i went through the academy where i'm at now there was guys in my class that never started a chainsaw or mm-hmm. mowed their own grass because they live in cities. That wasn't a thing. Like it, it wasn't a thing 20 years ago. So my thing is like, okay, so that's all fine and well that you've never started a chainsaw or mowed a lawn. But then how do you decide one day you wake up and you're like, I want to be a firefighter. <laughs> right. Cause you saw a cool firefighter on TV. Like how, how, like, no, that's, that's exactly right. It's, it's recruitment. That's it's Chicago because fire. we turn to social media because we have to. We have to attack what is prevalent now. And they're not going on Craigslist and looking for job postings for firefighter. They're following the videos and their friends that have the most likes and views. Man, that looks cool. I could do that. Talk said it was cool, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And we had people come to our classes because of that. Literally said, I, I drove four hours. I found this on TikTok. It looked like fun. It looks like well, let me tell you how fun it's going to be, buddy. <laughs> right. I hope you whoop their ass. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, we have to have like we have to do that, though. We have to. And I've learned that like with generational gap now, the newer age is they don't care about what's going to happen in 30 years. They don't care about certifications. They don't care about a lot of things. They want the truth. If they want to do the work, they're going to do it. But you got to be honest with them up front because they already know the answer because they're holding a computer in their hand. So when they ask you a question, they're not asking the information. They're asking to to test your credibility. Right. Well, and I don't think there's anything, honestly, I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily. What I don't like is that departments are stuck two generations ago. A lot of them. So we're not adapting. So then I guess my last question for you is where do you see the fire service headed in the next 10 years? I see a very, very dramatic, radical change because like you just said, we're stuck two generations ago, but those generations of chiefs and leaders are fading out. My uncle worked 42 and a half years in the fire service. You can't get someone to work 40 years starting now. 
there is not like we have a few that work at the city I work at that have been around for 30 plus, but like there's hundreds of people retiring before them because it's not worth it because we realized it kills our brains. It kills our bodies. Like I'm not going to work 40 years to die 300 days later. Do you think though that two generations ago things were different because we didn't see these ginormous campaign fires two years ago like we do now. I you think know they I mean? happened. I Generations think we ago. didn't have the media to um, to let you know that they happened. Because even when I started, I started in 2006, I remember big fires as a kid that my uncle would go to, but that's it. I don't remember the big fires in my area. And then going back and studying the fire service and, and hearing stories and he'd be like, man, I live down the road from that. And I didn't know that happened. But now we all hold computers in our hands. And yeah. someone's always recording. No. So no. I don't know. I don't know how it is in North Carolina, but in California, we've had some major incidents with mass casualties um, mm-hmm. and just whole towns burning down. Um, and I don't as a I mean, I've lived in California my entire life, 40 years, and I do not remember whole entire towns burning down our cities. No, they didn't. Um, so I can remember on your area, Seattle. Seattle has burnt down completely. We, we did a tour and they talked about it when the city mm-hmm. burnt down. Was it like in the 1900s, though? It was like 1950s and 60s. Like yeah, some, during the earthquake, the major earthquake. Um, so that it, was it. Was a lot where they were trying to get water, municipality or municipal water, and they thought they had it, and somebody did something wrong, and they didn't have any water to fight the fires, and the uh, the reservoirs and all that didn't work, and it burnt down like half the city. But hmm. but I agree with you too. Like we didn't have we didn't have wind driven events when I started. I also think that's partly because we have so much technology. We're running so many calls that is actually hurting our responses. Our mid is 3,500 calls a year. We have units running 50. We have three units running over 5,000 calls a year, and they're not ambulances. There's not an agency within our proximity that has units running over 3,000. We're just doing too much. It's yeah. just too- well, and you're, it's that the, the thing is, is like the population has grown so fast, but the fire departments did not grow to keep up. And so like there's, yeah. And in Northern California, the population's moving into the forest. Exactly. So that's how exactly. we have yeah. I drive areas in California. And I'm just like, I would never live here. Everywhere. And they're all mm-hmm. dead. Mm-hmm. Everyone's moving from up North here. I mean, I'm from Ohio. I grew up in Cleveland. I, it was a few years ago, but I ran into somebody at a grocery store that I went to high school with in Ohio. Like everybody is leaving up there because it's not fun. Snow is not. It's <laughs> now we have hurricanes here, like how you guys have wildfires. We deal with hurricanes and flooding. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we deal with that like water rescue, a lot. Maybe. We do a lot of water rescue, a lot of flooding. We don't do ice and snow at all. Pipes burst all the time here because mm-hmm. we're not prepared for that. I hijacked your train of thought. You said it's going to change drastically. I think that because of the, the turning of the tides within the rank structures and the age of people, the fire departments are growing, but we're creating a lot of positions and rank structure to make up for what people used to just do with one person, which is too much. And we're realizing that we have a, a family at home. We're realizing that the job's never going to love me back and that I do have a responsibility to be at home after I retire. So with that being said, people are starting to say no, like, no, I'm not taking on this project. Hire somebody else to do it. And that's happening. But the top leaders and that top echelon of time is still there. But I feel like when it and when that group is gone, that we're going to go from 30, 40 year guys to 20, 25 year guys with a few 28 to 30 year guys. And people are starting to realize that, like, I need to be at home. You know, like, I don't want my kids to graduate school, then work another 10 years and then, you know, be gone. 
like die at 55 years old because of what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I see that change. I, I feel like we're going to have, it's going to become a, a point where people are like, we're not doing this. You have to make a change. We, we have to change what we're doing or we have to take better care of ourselves or you're not going to have staffing. I think we're already seeing that a little bit, at least where my husband worked. They're demanding better pay, better hours. And there is an influx of younger administration. I don't know if Audra's seen that too, but I, I am seeing this younger generation in the union becoming a lot stronger. So that's a big thing for you guys as a union. We don't have we have unions, but we're right to work. We don't have collective bargaining or bargaining at all. Ooh. We are one of the few few states, pretty much the southeast is that way. North Carolina, Virginia has unions, but again, they don't it's not a crazy fight like it is in Ohio or California oh. or like how do you guys get anything accomplished without your union without a union so where i work our union is involved and they i would say our union keeps them honest where mm. i'm at other departments i was at that had unions it was literally just a club that you were a part of within that department thing so like pay i get paid what i get paid because that's what they tell me exactly so you have nobody bargaining for you and nobody going to the table for you that's crazy in the bigger cities in the bigger organizations yes like we have a pay committee they make Mm -hmm. recommendations and they're pretty good about it like i can't complain with that Uh, but in the smaller no so in your department like in your area you don't have a union i'm guessing you do you have some sort of employee assistance program like for yeah, we have mental health services and all that so okay. yeah and so like where i work we have a peer support team we, we okay. are very 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 fortunate with everything that is afforded to us i'm very fortunate where i work now coming from places that didn't have those options to now like i hear guys complain about things and i'm like you don't even know i've worked in a department where we had to buy our own toilet paper at points or we couldn't take the truck to the grocery store We'd have to take our personal cars to the grocery store because they didn't want us using the fuel. That would okay, not so happen here. That, did you have to go out of service <laughs> in order to go to the grocery store? Every yeah, like time? one guy would have to either, you'd either bring your food in or one guy would leave in his personal car and go get the groceries for the day. We weren't allowed to eat at restaurants <laughs> with, with the fire truck. Like we weren't, it was, that's just that administration for that town at that time was we weren't allowed to be seen but, kind of thing. Uh, you're not allowed to live, basically. Like, oh, it was bad. It was wow. Bad. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. But but what what I what I say that for is is there's millions of fire departments in this country, and there's hundreds of thousands of them that are dealing with that right now. Mm-hmm. That stress that they're having to bring toilet paper from their house, they're having to do a hot dog sale on Friday because they don't know if they're going to be able to keep gas in their truck. In North Carolina, we have over a thousand apartments within our state, and I think like I don't remember the number. It's less than twenty five percent of them are like paid municipal departments. We have a lot of volunteers in our rural area still, a lot. And it's a different world when you get out there. And the volunteers are few and far between, I imagine, just like they are here in California. Um, So like where we live now, where I work um, in the rural department, we only have three or four volunteers on it, but we have part-time staff. If you drove an hour east into the rural areas, you have departments that operate solely on volunteers. But they're, I mean, they're stuck in the, the 80s, the they're early 90s. Like not fully trained. Either. Yeah, like you got places where they're not trained. They, um, <laughs> It's a different world. It's yeah. like w- literally walking into a time machine. It's mind-blowing to me. I don't it even, is. yeah. Okay, we're going to do the hot seat really quick for both of you. We're going to totally switch gears here. We're going to ask you just a couple of quick questions just to get to know you guys a little bit better. You can either both answer or one of you. It doesn't matter. Ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right, pizza or tacos? Tacos. Yeah, I'd go with tacos too. Yes. Okay. Team taco all the way. 
But what's the best advice you've ever been given? Be quiet. You have two ears and one mouth. You should listen more than what you talk. If you could say anything to the fire chief, what would you say? <laughs> it doesn't have to be your fire chief. DYFJ. Yeah, exactly. And we've said it before. DYFJ. You, can you say that a little louder? DYFJ. There you go. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> For sure. And because this is not a family-friendly cop podcast, what does that mean? Do your fucking job. Amen. Absolutely. What books or movies do you recommend to our listeners? Ooh, we got this one. Anything Jocko or David Goggins. We are huge fans of Jocko and David Goggins. Jocko and David Goggins. What are they? What are the books about, or what are the movies about? They're Navy SEALs. Yeah, they're both Navy, Navy SEALs. SEALs. A lot of it's leadership, but it's mainly just being responsible and accountable for your own actions at the end of the day. Jocko is really big into accountability. His biggest book, Extreme Ownership. So basically the gist is something bad happens to you, good. I'm glad it happened because you're going to do better and you're going to learn from it. And you're going to move on. David Goggins is more... Like uh, mind hardening. Yeah. Uh, using your mind and, and you think you can't do something, well, you can do it 10 times. Because you're a lot you more you capable do yeah. of doing stuff than you than you realize so his book was can't hurt me and then the newest one is uh, never finished he's insane it, but he's the way that crazy. he describes his life and all right okay i'll have to look those up stream ownership has been recommended on us yeah, i don't even know how many times so if you're gonna do david goggins 100 do can't hurt me and then never finished but do the audiobook yes because it's got bonus stuff in it what he does is they read a chapter so cool. and then they do a podcast episode where he describes everything about that chapter it's a really cool experience it is yeah and then jocko also has a podcast mm. yeah jocko and we listen to jocko's podcast. podcast we stay uh, pretty regular on that and then i've read yeah. fortitude by dan crenshaw dan crenshaw or gary john bishop's another one we we listen to a lot i have a few of those books on my reading list for this year so i'm happy to be here that they've been recommended yet again and with that i want to thank you both for coming on the show today um so glad you had us this has been fun for our listeners if you want to learn more about twisted fire industries you can go to the website at twistedfireindustries.com and you'll find all of their links to their social media there if you like the show today please leave us a review on any of your favorite listening apps the greatest compliment you could ever give us is sharing the show and or our social media content with your family and friends Thanks so much for tuning in. Find us on social media at Dear Chiefs Podcast and online at DearChiefs.com. Tune in weekly for the 25,000-foot view of loving a first responder. Audra and Chelsea, over and out. (laughs) 